everyone. I'm Dr. Susie Green, founder and CEO of the Positivity Institute. Welcome to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one, where I'll be chatting to those pioneers of positive education, those who forge forward in their mission to create flourishing students, staff and whole school communities. I'll be speaking to positive education pioneers from various schools around Australia over coming weeks to talk with them about their experiences and journeys in positive education. The podcast series is generously sponsored by Perth College, who will also be hosting the fourth Positive Education in Perth conference this October, and we hope to see you there. Today, I'll be chatting to Dr. Deb Perich. Deb is the director of the Inside Out Self-Leadership Program at Perth College, where she has implemented a kindergarten to year 12 course incorporating positive psychology. Deb has also led the strategic implementation of positive education at Perth College for the past four years. Deb has completed the Melbourne University Professional Certificate in Positive Education in 2014 and has presented at positive education conferences in Australia and abroad. Deb has a passion to help young women flourish. Before we get into the interview with Deb, I just want to apologize for the audio quality. This is our very first podcast series and we've been on a really steep learning curve. We were also really keen to have the podcast series launch in time for the Positive Education in Perth conference coming up. So we decided to let it roll as it is. But please be assured we're working on improving the quality so you'll definitely notice the difference over time. So now back to the interview. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, Susie. Great to have you on the podcast as our first interviewee. Thank you very much. So before we formally start the interview today, Deb, I'm actually going to be asking all of our interviewees to share a little bit more about themselves with us. And um, we've actually coined the term a flourishing fact. <laughs> so something that perhaps the audience won't know about you, something that perhaps you've learned through your own exploration of positive psychology, positive education, that really helps you to flourish or to stay well? Okay, for me, I love a challenge. So often I need to reframe my thoughts to have a go at things like this podcast today is an example or presenting at conferences. Um, really applying those positive psychology skills has helped me on that journey. So you really like to be stretched? I love to be stretched and I love to celebrate the successes along the way. Fantastic. And some of our audience may or may not be familiar with the mental toughness model by Clough and Strahasik. And uh, as you and I both know, Deb, challenge is one of the four C's of mental toughness. Um, and often we find that for many people, they actually find discomfort in pushing themselves out of their comfort zones. But for you, that's something that you really have identified is when you do feel at your best. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I love to try new things. Cool. Thanks, Deb. So um, you have been one of the pioneers in positive education, um, not only in Western Australia, but in Australia, and I would also argue the world. And we've been really fortunate, and myself personally, to work with you over the past four years now. It'd be really wonderful for the audience to hear what brought you, perhaps yourself personally, but also more broadly, your school, Perth College, to adopting a positive education approach or heading down this pathway, if you like? 
Okay, so back in 2011, I was actually approached by Jenny Athel, the principal of Perth College and the school board, to do some research into how we could better equip our girls for leadership roles, so prepare them for entering the workforce. Um, simultaneously, we were also being asked for more resources in the mental health space. So that's a very quick summary of how Inside Out, our self-leadership program, was born. Um, at that point of time, we did plan to phase it in. However, we quickly moved to a whole organisation approach as we started to see the benefits that we gained. Fantastic. And I guess I'm really curious because I think, Deb, my experience has been both in schools and, and in the workplace that those, I guess, two key issues or areas that you identified, the mental health but also leadership, often today they still operate quite in isolation from each other. And often my experience has been that people don't realise that the skills of well-being or resilience or mental health, if you like, are equally important skills from a leadership perspective and that, you know, there is opportunity to further integrate, I guess, those approaches into leadership capability programs, both for students, as you've done, and for staff. Would that be your experience? Absolutely. Um, so we chose our wellbeing model to underpin our leadership model because we saw that as critical for our, both our staff and our girls to flourish. And so I also know from uh, having previous chats to you around this that the school has also really benefited by having a whole school approach in supporting the curriculum for the students. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So when we began, um, I was actually quite focused on just delivering a program to the students, but quite quickly I discovered that it was critical that our staff and our parents, our whole community, came on this journey. So back in 2012, we did launch to our students, but very quickly changed our focus into our next phase where we started to train our staff, and we had the privilege of having you, Susie, to lead that and over three years we've managed to train our whole staff in positive psychology and right now we're also working on equipping them with the skills of coaching which we see quite complementary. Um, so we have measured from the very beginning with our students and we've also measured with our staff which has helped us guide the development of our program and our next steps. I guess my next question was going to be describe your journey so far as succinctly as possible because obviously a lot has happened over the four-year period. And I'm wondering, Deb, whether you could walk us through that journey now and within that talk about the role of measurement because I know there are a lot of schools. We get contacted by a lot of schools that are particularly interested in measurement, what to measure, whether it's staff or students, uh, what tools, the approaches. So any way you can enlighten us there would also be helpful in terms of uh, your journey. Yeah, sure. So from a measurement point of view, we've kind of taken the approach that we are going to measure and use the measurement so, for example, at this point in time, we're not measuring with our parents because we're not at a point yet to actually deliver to our parents, but that's something in our plan going forward. So with our measurement of our staff, um, it's helped us guide the professional learning that we're um, giving them and how we can support them better. And the same with our students. 
So one of the big things with our students is that we actually didn't realise how valuable they saw their relationships with parents, with staff and other students. Like they see that as being one of the best things about Perth College. So that's really great feedback that you can give your staff and something we can celebrate. It's also helped guide us where our focus needs to be, like our timing of our programs as now we're starting to get longitudinal data, we can pitch programs ahead of where we predict the kids will need it. An example there might be that we um, traditionally, like starting off in 2012, ran our Year 10 program mid-year, but we were getting a decline in wellbeing between Years 9 and 10, and we found that by moving the program to the start of Year 10, we're able to avoid that um, so we find that measurement is really valuable for us. Um, also, with our junior school data, we can see what's happening at our intake years. And we could actually been able to see what's happening with thriving and hope scores as we've implemented things like um, character strengths, for example. We saw a, a significant increase in both those measures as we introduced that. And Likewise, as we've expanded our program to be broader, wellbeing has continued to increase. So measurement is extremely valuable. Fantastic, Deb. Would you be able to share with us what specifically the measures that you have utilised? Yeah, so we've utilised the Assessing Wellbeing in Education tool. So we're utilising that from for our Year 3s up to our Year 12s as well as for staff. And we're just starting to invite some parents to utilise that tool as well, as we've got a group of parents that are helping guide us on the wellbeing journey, utilising an appreciative inquiry approach. But we've also utilised the Gallup poll um, since 2014. So that's given us some longitudinal data, particularly with our junior school students. So we measure once a year at the same time. So you're measuring, just for me to be clear, you're using Gallup um, for what year levels? For At the moment, just year five and six. Right. But prior to the tool being available, we utilised it across the senior school as well. And so your uh, intention is to continue to use utilise Gallup in addition to all for five and six? Absolutely. Just yeah, and- to keep that longitudinal data going and right. it's a very easy quick measure so it gives us a snapshot the, a big benefit for us with the assessing well-being and education tool is that the students get personalized reports which we can then use to help coach them on their well-being journey in addition we're right. also partnered with the university of leeds and measuring leadership identity and core confidence in relation to the year 10 program that they've helped guide us on. Fabulous. So measurement's been really important for you. And as you said, as obviously schools are interested in, in, in it in terms of, I guess, even a pure ROI, return on investment, but to show shifts over time, but also to actually use it very practically, as you've said, so you can uh, use that data to inform the program, in, improve the program. Absolutely. So another example is I introduced a new program this year for our seeing students called the Perth College Leadership Camp. And I actually measured pre- and post-measurements on that, uh, which is valuable and helps me justify this, why the program should continue and why make that investment in the program. Fabulous. 
That's really helpful. So in terms of just returning to the journey again, could you talk us through what that's looked like over the last four years? Absolutely. So in 2011, I researched. In 2012, I launched attempting to just deliver to a small subset of students. However, that was really challenging when you start to work in this area that you believe is best practice. So we actually started to deliver kindergarten through to year 12 through some explicit teaching, which is what we're doing kindergarten through to year 6, and then in the senior school through a series of workshops. However, quickly we realised the need to bring staff on this journey and how important their well-being was to creating a flourishing classroom. So in 2014, we began training our staff and over three years, we've managed to train all of our staff and that continues to be a focus that professional learning for staff in this space needs to remain a priority. So this year, our staff have been doing some work with peer-to-peer coaching, really, again, to address their own well-being and create their own personal growth plans so that we have a staff of flourishing teachers. And I know, Deb, given that you were one of the pioneers in positive education and, and my own experience in starting very early on with schools back in even 2010 was that there was still in the early days quite a lot of, I guess, misperceptions, misunderstandings, cynicism, scepticism, if you like. And uh, one of the reasons why schools chose to introduce POSED to staff in small groups was that some of those queries or concerns could be addressed. And I know particularly as a facilitator that it it was much easier to address those concerns in a small group than in a whole school staff training. And that's the approach that you have taken. And, and I know that rolling it out in smaller groups and then we finished with a larger group towards the end, by which time I think we had a critical mass, Deb. And I guess so... It's, it's really interesting for uh, the audience to hear a little bit about that readiness for change and, um, and I guess where people were at at the beginning and, and where they're at now and also then leading into recruitment and how that has potentially impacted on recruitment. Yeah, I think the readiness is an important factor, like going with our first group of 30 champions and then the next group the following year and allowing people to opt in when they were ready has added to the success of our program. With recruitment now, uh, staff who are applying here actually know that we prioritise wellbeing and that the relationship with the student is essential. Know the girl is what we say. So I think they come with a readiness, um, but we also try to equip them as soon as they start, like start educating them from day one. Fantastic, Deb. Okay, I'm going to move on to, which I guess leads on from our discussion so far. What would you say have been your greatest learning so far? That might include what's worked well, www, but perhaps some of the obstacles or barriers and what you might choose to do differently if you had your chance again. Uh, one of my major learnings is that I need to apply these positive psychology skills myself in rolling out such a program, particularly in the early days when you did have your resistors to actually notice what's working well and celebrate your successes along the way was a key to the success of Inside Out growing. 
Um, another, I think another thing that I've learned is just how much the early learning girls are capable of learning, uh, particularly in the space of understanding their emotions and reframing thoughts and mindfulness. Even though they are four- and five-year-olds, they are so capable and just little sponges in this space and can actually up-teach not only the staff but their parents and other students as well. I think a learning for us has been the benefit of sending one of our champions into our junior school classes to work alongside the teacher. And it does make sense because it's like a mentoring and a coaching setting where we cover the content together and are able to truly embed it into what's happening in those classrooms I've learnt in recent years as the program has rippled out the hunger that the parents have for this information and they're a whole subset that are important on the wellbeing journey of their daughters. So helping equip them with the skills is one of our focus points right now. And what about would you do anything differently if you had your chance again? Well, I often say that I would educate the staff first. However, in saying that, there's been benefit in allowing the staff to opt in as well and have a readiness. Yeah. Early on, I probably didn't realise the importance of the ongoing professional learning because our dream is that positive psychology is embedded into all that we do. So that creation of habits, the professional learning is just essential to keep happening so that when people are ready, they can step in and start applying to their own lives. And I guess leading on from that, is there anything specific, you know, in terms of advice or recommendations for schools, perhaps at the very early stages of of their journey? I think to support your champions as much as you can. Like our school has been very generous in supporting them in further learning. So to have a passion in the space, to study in the space, they've supported them in doing them and then coming back to the school and delivering those projects, like a lot of projects bring to mind just out of our staff who have completed the Melbourne University course. And it's been really valuable to allow the staff to actually live their passions. And um, I guess a, a common approach to implementation of POSED is to have a, uh, well, they they were going to call them uh, directors of POSED in the early days, if you remember, Dev, but that would have meant dope. And then they referred to them <laughs> as the head of POSED. And I know that's not technically your title, but I guess the normal approach would be to have someone leading that under the sponsorship of the principal and the executive, but to also have a, a well-being champion group, if you like. Could you tell us a little bit about that and how that's operating for you? So at Perth College, we have a strategic committee with Inside Out and Wellbeing. So we meet approximately twice a term and keep planning for the future. So we're actually taking a appreciative inquiry approach with that group and dream and then implement. So I think this is critical for the success of your program to just keep it it growing. Um, I've been extremely lucky here to have the support of the board and the principal. It has made it much easier to implement a whole school approach when you're coming from that 
approach, but they've also allowed us to engage all of the stakeholders in making the decisions on how we progress forward. So an example is currently we have an appreciative inquiry group with parents who are guiding us moving forward, which is how our conference in Perth for parents, that stream has actually evolved. But we've also got an appreciative inquiry group with staff who are dreaming about staff wellbeing going forward. So we're very lucky that we're in an organisation that is allowing us to apply the science of flourishing. Definitely. And I am aware that you've only fairly recently returned from the IPEN, International Positive Education Network Accelerator, Positive Accelerator in Texas, and you did uh, present a poster over there, Deb. I'm wondering if you could just share briefly two things. One, what you actually presented on, and two, what we take away from the conference. Okay, I presented on, along with a colleague, the appreciative inquiry we're doing with parents, and that's been about engaging them as stakeholders. So for 18 months now, we've been on a journey with the parents um, dreaming and designing, and a lot has evolved out of that. So that's what we were sharing with the community at the conference. So things ranging from community gardens to the conference to parents uh, coming into classes and actually experiencing what the, the children are experiencing to what learnings they actually want as parents to new canteen menus. So it's been extremely rewarding and very easy to do when we've had the parents dreaming and designing. And from the conference, I felt extremely confident with where Australia is on the positive education journey, like I walked away feeling that, yes, in Australia, we truly are leading the world in this space. But it was a fabulous opportunity to network with like-minded individuals globally. I guess that's also our hope for the upcoming Positive Ed in Perth conference, Deb, isn't it? Because often uh, people can be quite hesitant about presenting, particularly if they're at the beginning phase of their journey and they feel that they don't have much to share. But this, I guess, would be a great time to do a brief call out to anyone that's listening to this podcast. Is there still opportunity or have the, has the cutoff date been reached in terms of presentations? No, there's absolutely opportunity to present. Please do reach out to us. And as you said, Susie, educators sharing what they're doing in the classroom is critical. And if I think about my journey, that's really how Perth College has evolved, by networking with like-minded colleagues and sharing our successes. Thank you, because I know you've done a number of presentations over the years, Deb, and people uh, really do appreciate that uh, generosity While we're on the conference, is there, and I know we're just about to announce the keynote speakers and we're really excited about that, but is there anything besides the networking and I get the sharing that you're specifically looking forward to coming up at uh, this year's conference? I'm really looking forward to having both the educators and the parents together. So we trialled that for the first time last year and we had half a day for the parents but at their request, they've wanted a full day. And I think that's really valuable to have um, both groups in the one space doing their own streams, but to actually be sharing how we all value giving kids the skills to flourish and thrive. Yeah, that's amazing. And 
for many schools that we've worked with and spoken to over the years, parents have been, I guess, the last frontier, so often the hardest to know how to best engage them generally, I guess, in schools, but specifically around POSED. So I would definitely say that you are leading the way in that regard, and I'm assuming and hopeful that you'll be presenting on that work at the conference as well, Deb. Yeah, absolutely. And um, hopefully we'll have some of our parents share what it's meant for them to be part of that journey as well. Fabulous. So we are coming towards the end of uh, the interview now, Deb, and I've asked you to think about one story. I know that you previously shared with me that there are a multitude of stories over the time that you've been involved, but is there one story that you could share that really highlights the impact or power of positive education? That might be or a staff member that's come back to you or a student or even yourself, that would be wonderful to hear. Sure. So my first story I'm going to share is some of you one girls who are actually doing a fundraiser at an assembly and they were chatting with Jenny, the principal, about how they were feeling a little nervous. She asked them what they could do and they suggested they could reframe their thoughts or do some power poses, which they did do before delivering their very important message. But the part I really like is walking past the classroom and seeing a group of Year 10s doing their power poses, influenced <laughs> by these Year 1 girls before their semester test. So I just love that. Um, with the staff, there's lots of stories to, um, that I could share, and I really enjoy seeing them actually change their teaching practices as positive psychology comes alive for them. But the other story I'm going to share is actually about our leadership camp, which we had at the beginning of the year, which was for senior students, and I tried to create a setting where they could actually apply the skills they've learnt at their time at Perth College, so a setting where they can share stories, where they can be vulnerable and where they can support one another in the relationships. And the feedback that has come back from that has just exceeded my expectations. And now with the current year 12 girls wanting to come back and actually be mentors at that camp going forward and to give as many girls at Perth College the opportunity to be part of that just makes my heart sing really that where we've got these remarkable young women that are applying these skills and making yes. a positive difference. And I, I, I guess I'm hearing and I continue to hear that it is in the language that you hear the language or there's a whole new wellbeing literacy, uh, which I know Professor Lindsay Oates uh, refers to, but there's a language that you, you're really hearing in, uh, in real time, very genuinely, very authentically. But I'm also aware that there's been lots of behavioral observations or evidence of living, I guess, the science, uh, both for staff and for students. Yeah, absolutely. It's wonderful to see. My final formal question is um, where to next for you and Perth College, Deb? Putting on my coaching cap, if you like, what would you ideally be telling me that's happening uh, at Perth College in five years' time? So in five years' time, we hope that all of our senior students have the opportunity to be coached by a staff member opting into that. We would hope that our girls are also equipped with peer-to-peer coaching skills. I would like to see mindfulness um, as uh, we're, so we're currently training some of our staff in the .B program and next year we will start to filter that in as a subject that the students can actually opt into. 
Well, we already have mindfulness as the norm, but this is particularly targeting the older students. And I would love to see a staff that just continues to grow and flourish and a whole really? state community, really. So keep working towards being that positively deviant organisation and celebrating that. Definitely. Well, I, I think uh, both you and Perth College are exemplars of grit, if you like. You have stuck at it. And I think it also really highlights for schools looking to go down this pathway that it is a cultural change approach. And uh, we know from the research it can take five years to change cultures and um, there's so many pieces of the pie if you like when you're looking to take a strategic and sustainable approach to positive education and that does take time and energy um, but you've really highlighted a wonderful example for us today Deb and really kick-started our Pioneers in Positive Education podcast. So just in closing because I know myself I'm often regularly asked you know what book should I read, what podcast should I listen to or what course uh, should I do? Uh, what would you recommend for anyone interested if they were going to pick up one book or one listen to one podcast or do one small course, if you like, uh, in terms of POSED or PosPsych? Okay, the one small course that I'd recommend is the Yale online course called The Science of Wellbeing. I was actually inspired by Laurie Santos at the um, Accelerator in uh, Texas. The thing I really like about this course is that along with the science, it's encouraging you to change your habits simultaneously. So I have a bunch of staff doing this at the moment and a bunch of parents, and it's beautiful to see the benefits that they're getting out of that. So we're about halfway through, so that is my tip, the science of wellbeing from Yale. Fantastic, and that's one of possibly now four MOOCs, those massive open online courses referred to as MOOCs, which are free unless you want certification and then I believe there's a fee. But how incredible is it to have access to some of the best universities in the world uh, like Yale? And if anyone listening is interested, uh, we do have a list of recommended further courses both in positive psychology posed but also in coaching and coaching psychology and I often say you don't have to do a master's uh, mind you there are some fabulous masters uh, that exist but you don't have to do a master's you can just do a MOOC so uh, so that's one that you're recommended Deb yeah well that's really brought us to the end of the uh, interview today Deb so I just wanted to thank you again very much for everything that you've done for the school, for positive education in Perth, for positive education in Australia and globally, and today in sharing your learnings and uh, recommendations for schools heading down or looking to head down this path going forward. So thank you so much. Thank you very much, Susie. We feel incredibly proud that you recognise us as a leader in this space, and thanks for all your guidance along the way. It's an honour, Deb, and looking forward to joining you soon again at uh, the fourth Positive Education in Perth conference hosted by Perth College on Saturday the 27th of October, and we'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening to the Pioneers of Positive Education podcast series one, brought to you by our sponsor, Perth College, who will be hosting the upcoming Positive Education conference in Perth on Saturday 27th of October. Don't forget to sign up for our free e-news at the Positivity Institute website where you'll be kept in the loop for all things positive. Bye for now.